0: Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tooze at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. Cyberattacks are one of the largest threats facing business today. Damage from cybercrime will top $10.5 trillion annually by 2025, according to the recent research by Cybersecurity Ventures. Learning how the disruptions and misdirection take place is the core to protecting the services provided by network operations and data systems. The training programs to build teams that can predict an unseen risk of potential cybersecurity are called offensive security teams, or OFFSEC, in the cyber parlance. My guest today helps build these teams of professionals by educating them on how information technologies and network systems disclose data so they can prepare for the attacks designed to damage the hardware, software in data and computer systems. Keith Peer is the head of Federal Teams for Offensive Security. Keith uses his deep understanding of offensive and defensive cyber operations in the use of machine learning, big data development, and artificial intelligence to build systems and training modules that defend networks from attacks on their business operations. Key students learn how to protect and defend access to these network operations to ensure the resilience of applications within the network systems. Keith and I discuss the importance of knowing your customer in the landscape of network operations, including the Internet of Things, connected devices, and the challenge that these bring to both enterprises and consumer systems. Keith, welcome to Explain to Shane. Before we get started on the importance of the work your company's doing, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself and how you arrived in the world of cybersecurity.
1: I started out, I've been in cybersecurity my entire career. I started out back in 1990 with an antivirus software company. And then progressively throughout the years, that company was sold. And progressively throughout the years, I've worked for venture capital and many startups along the way. And I found myself here in D.C. back in 2017. And, you know, and then progressed, you know, to where I'm at today at offensive security.
0: So... Your name of your company is Offensive Security. So enlighten us on what that means in the context of today's security landscape. How are you able to become more offensive in your stature around cybersecurity threats?
1: Well, Offensive Security is actually is, is our historical name. We, we, we've had that for many years. And it implies that we only do offensive training, which we did do up until about uh, 12 months ago when we rolled out actually defensive courseware and defensive you know, training op- offerings across our platform. But that being said, is that offensive security really is focused on two things is one producing their Kali Linux distribution and then also our cybersecurity training, which consists of penetration testing and offensive cyber operations and then also defensive cyber operations today.
0: So for the listener to this podcast, they they tend to be pretty good about policy, but may not know as much about what it actually takes to make things more safe. So walk us through, like pen testing, for
1: example. What do you do when when you're doing penetration testing? Penetration testing, the, the, there's two types of that I, that most of the time get about. One of those is penetration testing, where you're assessing the security vulnerabilities in the application or a particular target. And then there's red teaming, which is going after a target inside of a operation, you know, historically. So, it would be not just, you know, finding the vulnerabilities in an application. It's going actually using those vulnerabilities going all, all the way through to a particular target inside that organization. So, that's red teaming. So, our students uh, really do, they, they learn how to do penetration testing and assessments of applications and looking for vulnerabilities. In some cases, um, all the way from applications to d- developing their own tool sets to perform those actions as well.
0: So let's talk about training. I have uh, quite a few friends who have kids that are students coming out of college that are really interested in the cyberspace. And they're always asking me, what is what are the best next steps for them to get into the cyber world and what type of certifications do they need? And
1: I don't have a clue. So what what what, what would you recommend? There's lots of certifications that are really entry level, and then there's ours as well. So, so there's very basic certifications that are out there. They're fairly well known by you know some of our our you know com- competitors as well. They're very fundamental, but today we offer that as well. So we have our 100 level content. It, it's a little more advanced than you know just graduating out of out of college or high school. You know when you want to embark on your cybersecurity career, uh, it's a little more advanced than that. So you should have some prerequisites done but we also offer that fundamental courseware. So that being said is that there's a lot of fundamental courseware that's out there that a, a newly graduating student would need to embark on. So those could be You know, the classic, you know, CompTIA courseware, which is IT fundamentals and, you know, in A plus and security plus. And then, you know, they have a, a track as well for penetration testing. But here at offensive security, we do as well. So we, we pick those individuals up and offer them a unique learning experience that is well respected in the industry and, you know, among stakeholders as being demonstrably valuable. And I say that because of our unique pedagogy. And then ending in our unique testing, so we have very comprehensive training that accumulates in a very robust test. That's a hundred percent practical, hands-on test where you have to demonstrate the skills that and mindset that you have learned over the course of the time, you know, course of the training period. Where you can then apply those skills in a real-world environment and be able to write about and, and document that as well. So it's it's unique. So that's why, like here in offensive security, and and you know I, I can't say that you know there's others as well, but ours is known for being the most comprehensive, the most rigorous testing that's held in high regard. So that's why we have a lot of you know the Fortune 500 are customers of ours, as well as across the federal government. So, do people show up prepared for this, or do they are they are they
0: working in your programs before they arrive, or once they arrive, do they come with a baseline of understanding of computer science and how to work network operations, and then they build into these cybersecurity programs?
1: Yes. So, his, historically, our average student would have some type of practical experience in field. Before they would actually attempt to take our sort of our training and certifications, because that is very valuable to have that that experience in the field before you come to our, you know, to our training and certifications, because they're known to be extremely rigorous and challenging. Um, And and because of that, they're held in high regard. So I don't know, it kind of sounds like doing
0: one of your uh, tests might be fun if you're talking about red teaming. Tell us how do those work?
1: So, I mean, it, it's it's really a number of courseware that you would take that, you know, accumulates and tests. And then collectively, this will allow you to have the skills, you know, let alone to do penetration testing to find the vulnerabilities, but to then after you've penetrated an organization or a target, then you learn how to move laterally into other machines and use pivoting to and and other types of skills that you would develop over time. Because with offensive security, we're really training a mindset rather than a specific technical skill. So you have to become you know very reliant on your own skill set, and you have to have a lot of rigor in your approach to uh, performing the task. So you're going to be very rigorous, you're going to be very challenged, and you're not going to give up. So that's really part of our training as well it's not just pure technical skills it's also a mindset so in red teaming you have to do you have to have all these skills because as you penetrate a target um you know in many cases that's difficult to start with let alone being able to move inside the organization after a specific target so that's what we train on is it's not just technical skills it's also a mindset so how big are the teams
0: that you, these the people that you train work on
1: it varies. It could be from a small team, you know, a small as an individual, all the way up to, you know, larger teams, depending on the organization, you know, 20, 50, or if you're in the DOD, it could be even larger teams. So it really varies and depends on, you know, it, it you know, it really depends on the organization.
0: So if they're working within the DOD, are they subcontracted into the Pentagon or DOD for a program through the, uh, through
1: your organization? We do train contractors that perform on, you know, government contracts, for sure. And we also train employees of the federal government, whether they be civilian employees or DOD employees, uh, you know, servicemen uh, or women, for that matter. We, we we train the wide wide gamut of all of them and Fortune 500 as well.
0: So I would imagine part of the reason for a company like Offensive Security to exist is because a lot of people did come out of Defense Department. I imagine you, you came, you were Army, correct?
1: No, I was not. Oh, I was not 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 in the service. My misunderstanding. Yeah, no worries.
0: I think about it in a way that like I, I fly a lot. So I think about the United pilots and for years, you know, they were all coming out of the you know, the the military at some point and then we had to actually train pilots because they, there were less people going to those programs. And in the cybersecurity world, you know, I used to work with a lot of people who were out of West Point and and there's always the you know, there's always the challenge because Air Force thinks that they own space so, um we've we've got that going on. But the idea of like how you get trained at a level to do this without having all that good taxpayer dollar funding that that brought you through those programs, it's great to see that there are other companies that are are training people up as well. so when do you how much of the work that you do is actually uh, probably adjacent or within the federal government?
1: We don't disclose exactly the you know the percentage of you know our customer base, but a significant number of literally uh, across the DoD, utilize our training and hold our certifications in very high regard. So most of
0: the time on this podcast, we focus on policy. And there are policies that come out of the Department of Homeland Security. I know there's a new newer program called the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education, known as NICE. Mm -hmm. Are you working in programs like the, the NICE program out of DHS?
1: We are aligning to it very oh, okay. yeah. We are absolutely leaning into the NICE framework because it breaks the the jobs down into work roles. And those work roles have a number of KSAs, knowledge, skills, and abilities underneath of them. And we are aligning our training to those to that framework. So to those KSAs. So we can then help, you know, the adopters of the NICE framework, whether it be the federal government or you know, industry to match up those, you know, the the work roles and the KSAs to our certifications and training.
0: So we hear a lot, especially since the Ukrainian-Russian conflict has come into play, about shields up out of DHS. And so when you hear shields up, what, if you have a client who comes to you and says, I understand the government's concern. they're telling me this, there's a shields up program. What do you suggest that they bring more into play or do more of, than they might be doing in their current baseline. What is what is the fear bringing into the cybersecurity space?
1: Well, I equate you know defensive cyber op- operations to a lot of like the game whack a mole, right? Yeah. So if you're purely defensive, there's always going to be more moles pop up. They there, and you're constantly whacking them where if you use penetration testing to find your vulnerabilities in advance, you make less holes, right? Because there's less, now there's less whack-a-mole opportunities because the holes have been identified in advance and fixed. So that being said is that, you know, from a Shields Up perspective, it's not just pure defensive operations. So it's not just you know, throw all your equipment to be defensive, because at some point, you're just going to be chasing everyone because you know, you, you cannot keep up with a number of threats, you know, coming at you, if you don't do assessment of your own vulnerabilities. And that's where penetration testing comes in. So in that a lot of organizations don't do that. So they think that they're just going to deploy and deploy and deploy more defenses, but have no idea where their actual vulnerabilities are, because they've never been assessed.
0: So once you have the assessment, so I, I do a lot of work in the um, Internet of Things area mm-hmm. as well as on mobile uh, security. And I always worry that those are the the items that we're attaching to the networks are often the the culprits. I think a bit about when you have a, a situation in your house and you have a, let's say a mouse, you know, and you're like, so I've got to figure out your pen testing is a little bit like, how did the mouse get in? And then where, where did they go from there? And IOT to me always seems like that mouse that, you know, nibbled its way through the wall and got into your house and you have to figure out, you know, how to block it and what to do about it. So when it comes to all the devices and the internet of things that I, I realize you probably are using are mostly enterprise, but what are your recommendations for what level of security do you have on devices that you put onto a system?
1: Well, the Internet of Things is really, I mean, if you think about the threat landscape and what has been historically, you know, it's been IT systems, right? So now you're moving into IoT systems. And sometimes those IoT systems are enabling OT networks to have communication that typically was not available because of these OT devices, operational technology devices that were you know, managing, you know, you know, pumps and switches and everything else that they would be, you know, managing that was done manually now have the ability to be internet enabled and monitored and controlled. And then you take in all the other types of of IoT devices, which which I, I consider a mobile phone is also an IoT device, right? So, I mean, so it's connected to a network, but it's portable. It's, it's unique. So if you take all those devices, whether it be mobile, whether it be IoT devices, um, OT devices that are now enabled because of IoT devices and IT networks, the threat landscape has exploded. So one of the ways to really start to secure the network is that you have to really you have to develop you know skills in monitoring those transition points right so when the communications coming in from those IoT devices they go they go into your IT infrastructure at some point so it's being able to authenticate to assess right you know the the data coming in to authenticate those devices and then you know also secure the data in transit as well so there's lots of considerations when you're enabling a IoT device to communicate with your IT systems, so the best way to start to defend that is one is look at the security of IoT, the IoT devices themselves, and making sure that again you're testing the vulnerabilities, you're making sure that you're using the best way to put it is 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 you know proper posture, security posture on those IoT devices as as practical, right? So you can only do so much you know at any given time, but. Also assessing them, you can routinely, in many cases, assess them. You know, if if you have control of them for security vulnerabilities, and then patch them or or be able to remediate them a different way. So it may not be patching, but you can control the data inflow from that IoT device differently. So that's some of the ways that you can start to protect yourself from IoT networks that get that get compromised. So thinking
0: about mobile, uh, there is legislation both in the House and the Senate, and there's also uh, regulations over in Europe right now saying that they are interested in letting you lower the guard around your device. I happen to be an Apple user and I love the fact that you know they actually have to vet things that go into the App Store. I realize Android has a separate system, but they're saying no. You should be able to put anything on any device. And as a consumer who's used to having layers of protection, I realize you're more on the enterprise side, and I know that enterprises have much more stringent rules usually about what they will allow onto a system, especially um, a mobile device that plugs in. Um, that seems like that is a very challenging way to. We're getting we're getting mixed messages here. We're hearing shields up. And then we're turning around and saying we're going to let you put anything on your device. And then this device, by its nature, is going to want to plug into a bunch of networks when it goes in. Is that as frightening as it sounds to me? Because it sounds pretty
1: scary. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. When you know, when you start to loosen the walled garden, right? I mean, so when you start to you know lower the defenses to uh, to accommodate a user base, you're you are naturally exposing yourself to more threats because now you you control less and when you control less you're more vulnerable it just it, it you you cannot maintain the same level or same security posture as you had have previously if you're allowing uncontrolled applications into the environment that that can potentially attack you that is my my concern and it's interesting there's a lot of
0: people from the security community that has been trying to point this out to both Congress and the European Union and they don't seem to Care it's it's fascinating. So I'm I'm hoping that we don't see that come to fruition. Either that or you're going to have a whole lot, you're going to have some new programs you're going to have to put together because <laughs> it's it's going to make your job just either that much more challenging. or You're going to have that much more work. I'm not sure. So Keith, for those who are want to follow the work that you're doing, uh, wh- where's the best way to find out what you're what you're up to and, and how to stay in touch.
1: A number of ways. You can follow us on our website. We have a blog that we post routinely to. We also, you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter as well, for that matter. So we do have a social presence that, you know, users can follow us on. We also do podcasts as well. I mean, they're security focused. So there's a number of ways that users can follow both our content and our current thought leadership experts that we have in-house.
0: Great. Well, thank you very much for being a guest today on Explain to Shane. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.